Welcome to episode 68 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week I'm interviewing Charlinda Scales and she is the owner of Mutt Sauce and is doing a lot of cool things and I've been following her on social media before I started my podcast and I've just been so enamored with everything that she's doing and everything that she's done. But truthfully, I didn't know really anything about her military experience and oddly enough, I didn't even know that she was in the Air Force before this interview. So if you know know who Charlinda is because of all the great stuff she's doing for the military community and for her company Mutt Sauce, but maybe you don't know her military story, now's your chance to hear it. It's another great interview and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot, so let's get started. You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Charlinda is a TEDx speaker, branch ambassador, Air Force veteran, social media influencer, and founder and CEO of Mutt Sauce LLC, a company that makes the sauce for every meal, which is true. I've tried them. Mutt Sauce was the grand prize winner for Bob Evans Farm in 2017 Heroes to CEO Contest. So welcome to the show. I'm excited to talk to you. Hey, how are you, Amanda? So let's start with why did you decide to join the Air Force? Sure. Um, So mine's a generational story. Uh, We're a four-generation military family, and it's kind of like when you're a teenager getting ready to go to college or graduate high school, the conversation is about what branch are you going to go into? And I was probably the first one that said, I really just want to go to college. (laughs) I don't know. So one of my older cousins, who is in my generation, because every generation has a service member, he went to the Marine Corps, but he got hurt while he was in there. And he came back from the Marines and he told my granddad, he's like, hey, you know, I got hurt, but uh, we're all patting him on the back. I'm like, yeah, Dewan, you served. My granddad's like, that don't count. Who's next? (laughs) So I was like, how does that not count? Because I think if you raise your hand, you take the oath, whether you were on duty like 30 days or 30 years, I, I say you serve. So, uh, but my granddad, he was pretty traditional. He thought that you had to retire. So <laughs> that to him was service. And I, I found a way of um, going to college. I learned that I'd been considered for the ROTC scholarship, uh, Reserve Officer Training Corps. And they said I could go to any college I wanted to. I just got accepted by Clemson. And so I went there and they let me know when I arrived that you owe the Air Force service after we pay for college. I was flying by the seat of my pants, Amanda. I just, I did what I could to, to keep the family tradition going. That was how I got started. So how did you find out about ROTC? <clears throat> there was a kid in my high school class um, math class, and uh, I am historically really not good at, honestly, I'm not good at it. I had a math anxiety, so a lot of my high school math classes were spent doing anything except for math. <laughs> my, uh, 
my classmate was filling out the ROTC scholarship application, also not paying attention in class. And he was about to ball it up and throw it away. And I, I asked him what it was. He's like, you had to do stuff in high school. Like this thing is hard. So my mom actually put me in a lot of programs and made sure I was heavily involved in high school. So I just erased his answers and spent the rest of the class filling it out just to pass the time. That's crazy. Yeah. That was really just a like chance meeting where you like saw the form and then you applied. I just filled it out. Well, I, you know, all the, the conversations were happening at, at the house about Dewan coming home from the Marine Corps. And, and it's like one of those things like, well, I volunteered. Not really, but I kind of did, you know. I didn't raise my hand at the dinner table and automatically and say, I'm going in, granddad. Like, you know, for me, it was my passive way of helping. I had it in my, my hand. I was walking down the hallway and my guidance counselor had asked me what it was. Now, she knew that I was slightly depressed because I wanted to be an athlete. I thought I was going to get all these sports scholarships. And I tore my ACL senior year, very first soccer game. And I actually wanted to play for the Clemson women's soccer team. So I tore my ACL, uh, no sports scholarship prospects. So I didn't know how I was going to pay for school. I did know that I was in a household that was like, when you turn 18, say goodbye. Because <laughs> you're not staying. So I was like, oh, well. She, she asked me, she said, what is that? I said, some scholarship application. I don't know. It's like something for for the Air Force. She said, well, let me see it. Well, she turned it in. And that's what happened. Turn it in. She's like, hey, got someone here to talk to you. I'm like, who is it? So I guess the active duty person who comes and interviews you for the scholarship, and I'm just nonchalant. Yeah, that sounds great. We have a lot of great things you've done in high school. Well, thank you very much. I think you'd be a great candidate. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> Uh, next thing I know, we got invited to the scholarship awards ceremony for the school. They announced who got what scholarships, and my mom and I knew we got. I got an J.C. Penney award that was like maybe five hundred to a thousand dollars for books. I was like, I don't even know why we got invited for something this like this, but okay, glad to be here. And we kept waiting for my name, waiting for my name. And they said, in our last two awards, are full ride military scholarships to the college of their choice. And they announced me and a buddy of mine and my mom, she like caught the Holy Ghost in the back. <laughs> like, what? My doing? I learned that I got a full ride, so. And so you went to Clemson on a full ride ROTC scholarship. I did that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So what year was that when you graduated? Graduated high school in two thousand. Okay, so you started ROTC before two two thousand one September eleventh. Right. How did that did that change the environment of the ROTC unit when that event happened? Or, uh, yeah, because. There were a lot of people who had service members on active duty in their families. It was very palatable. I mean, you could definitely, uh, you were affected by everything that was going on with them, supporting them. And even my college roommates, so the day uh, that it happened, my 
I woke up to my college roommate crying and her boyfriend had called her to tell her that he was a Marine and was one of the first units that were getting shipped out. And so he was calling to tell her like this is what we signed up to do. We're headed out and she was confused and hurt and scared. Uh, we had the TV on watching all the aftermath as he's talking to her. It was just, it was unbelievable. It was a, it was a hard period to go through. And, and the reality of like, wow, like I'm only here in school for four years and I don't know how fast we're going to get the job done. But as conflicts go, even when the war seems over, there's still people who are going to have to stay in place. So there's still a chance I'm going to go over there. So I didn't know what to expect, but my family for the first time was like, wow. So the one that was supposed to go into the Air Force, the one that was like going to be like low key, she's going to serve her country, was going to be super low key. And now 9-11 has happened. She's, yeah. So. Yeah. so what was your job when you graduated from Clemson? Acquisitions program management. So about the time they're trying to match you to your career, like what you studied, I didn't really understand what that was because I wanted to be an intelligence officer or OSI, special investigations. Like that's always been my thing. Like I love digging for facts. I love like what unsolved mystery, I will solve it. <laughs> that was just me. I was always like a person that just loved that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I, I love transparency. So I think Intel is like, you, you're asking people to be transparent. And when someone's not, you're like, oh, we'll get to the bottom of this. Okay. I don't know. It's always been my personality. But I, uh, they said, you know, having a business background, business management was my major. They needed uh, acquisitions officers. And I just had to learn what that was when I went on active duty. So basically, you're worried about cost schedule performance, you're acquiring capabilities for the military. So we need global superiority. Okay, well, what does that translate to? So you have a strategic vision. What does that tactically translate to? Is that a plane? Is that a Humvee? Is like, what, what technology is that? So I like that challenge of helping uh, translate the whatever our capability gap is to whatever it is that we need to build or buy. So what sort of programs did you get to work on when you were in the Air Force? Uh, started out in Georgia on the Air Force small arms team. So that's like your handguns, grenades, um, general officer pistols, all the ROTC students that have weapons, uh, handheld weapons at those. I went to fighter bomb racks. Uh, so just making sure that the bomb racks on whatever fighter aircraft that we have are functioning properly. We replace them, we fix them, we send out teams to do that and inspect them. Then I moved to C-130 modification programs. So one of my biggest programs was the wing replacement was about $1 billion to replace all the center wings. So literally the piece between the two wings is called the center wing. And if it cracks or something happens with it, the wings can fall off in the middle of flight. And they had that happen. And so they're like, well, let's look at the age of the aircraft and let's look at the age of the center wings. Oh, we need to replace all of them. So that was a big effort. But one of my side projects, my side hustles while I was there, was called the Military Airborne Firefighting System. My only job as a lieutenant was supposed to be to help them 
qualify a new tank because it's a looks like a big tank. You roll onto the back of the C-130. When there's a forest fire, you open up the back of the C-130 and it sprays retardant. Have you ever seen those planes that are spraying red stuff around a fire? That's a mass flame. So um, one of the tanks needed to be upgraded. And so the other units in like North Carolina, uh, other parts of the country, like the Midwest and East part of the country had the older version of the tank. But there was one sitting in California that was getting an upgrade. And they said, no threat. A lot of, won't have a lot of forest fires that are happening, uh, projected for this year. Unless California burns to the ground, it'll be fine. Well, 2008, we had the 2008 California wildfires that were raging. They were on every headline. And I was one of the only people who was associated with the federal government with firefighting program. So it was like four program managers between us, the reserves, uh, the Forest Service. We all had to get together and put out this fire. And as that raged on, I'm also having to communicate. And at 20, it was like 24, 23, 24 years old, two four-star generals on how we're handling this. And it's a lot. It was a lot to be thrown into randomly at a young age. And I learned a lot about messaging, you know, how politics can sometimes intervene in the military. It doesn't, there was one headline I remember. It said, California is burning down and the unit in California with the plane is doing nothing. <laughs> I'm like, there's no pilot or navigator who would get in a plane with that tank that has not been flight tested. You just wouldn't do it. You're putting a big hunk of metal in the back of a big giant metal plane and telling them that, you know, you don't know if it will, the cord will snap and the tank will fall out and kill somebody. Or, you know, it's too heavy and will bring the plane down. All that happens during the testing that had not happened yet. So we're, we're about saving lives, not risking lives. That sounds like a crazy throw you into the fire and like see what you can do. Yeah, I think, you know, I want everybody, no matter what their background is, sometimes they have to see how they help put bombs on target. And that basically means know where you fit into the big plan. Even if you're admin or personnel and you're like, I'm a paper pusher. People can't get stuff done without you, which leads to something else, which leads to something else. And the people who literally hit the button and, and take out ISIS or something, all of that, somewhere in that equation of what they do, you were important. So never to discount, you know, the people who, what they want to call the chairborne rangers that are sitting in offices. <laughs> but yeah, I left uh, left Robbins Air Force Base, went up to Hanscom Air Force Base, worked with security forces to help them um, get technologies. They needed something that was quick. So it was a lot of like quick acquisitions, something that they needed for a mission that they had to go out on within, you know, a year. And then I worked in the staff, so I did a staff job at the headquarters. And I came to Ohio, which I told myself I'd never lived in Ohio, and they said, careful what you wish for. And I'm still in Ohio. <laughs> I live in Ohio now. Right. Uh, so yeah, I came there and I, I worked um, trainer aircraft. So pilots, they gotta go to school, they gotta learn on, on aircraft. And sometimes 
they get up there and the students don't know what they're doing. They're like, we're stuck. What is this button? <laughs> and our our uh, program was basically people who were really great at um, like aeros, aerospace science and stuff like that. And they are or mechanics and they have these big manuals. Like they would do them, they stop everything and they're taking a call with the senior instructor and the student saying, what is it? Red light came on. What is that? Are we gonna die? No, you're fine. We'll troubleshoot you. So you're okay. So that that was interesting. Trying to replace stuff on the trainer aircraft, instruct them when they're in flight, and uh, I think that was it. Once I got oh, I worked in the requirements office at the headquarters at Air Air Force uh, Material Command headquarters, and basically people are saying this is what I need, and. I found I found two million dollars and can y'all buy this? And then we would sit there as acquisitions people and say, How do you know that's two million dollars? Well, the contractor told me, of course the contractor is It's just two million dollars till you sign on the dotted line that they're gonna they're gonna be nickel and diming you for the next ten years and that two million dollar contract will end up being probably twenty million dollars to them. Right. So um I would work with requirements to basically tell them you need to be focused on buying capabilities, not buying shiny objects. But who can do that? You get in defense and you're like, oh, I got a budget to do that. Just because you have the money doesn't mean you should be. And if you spend it, spend it responsibly. So. And now a word from our sponsor. Nomadi's story began... 10 years ago with an idea jotted down on a napkin. Since then, their charms have made their way around the world, from the desert sands of Central Asia to the sunny Pacific Ocean and all the places between. Through their charms, they are honored to commemorate each of life's moments, new beginnings, marriages, births, promises of military service, and more. Create your own story today at nomadiscollection.com. Is your family going to be okay financially if you die? As you prepare to transition out of the military, don't forget to look over your life insurance needs. Hey there, I'm Melissa Skur, Coast Guard spouse and experienced insurance agent. As the owner of Insure the Heroes Inc., an independent term life insurance brokerage, I help military families past and present as well as the general public put together life insurance plans that fit their needs and budget. Separating from the service is a hectic time. Many veterans struggle with the decision of whether or not to purchase the SPP and the VG a lot. It's a huge decision and the tax classes don't always help. The veteran's life insurance benefit should be your last resort for life insurance continuation. Plus, it's not available for spouses. Securing the right amount of life insurance is how you can protect your home front should you pass away prematurely. Remember, life insurance isn't for you. It's for the ones you leave behind. Head on over to my website at insuretheheroes.com for a no-obligation quote or to book a complimentary call. If you prefer, you can dial me directly at 844-514-LIFE. Let's get back to the show. So how many years were you in the Air Force? So I'd say now 12 because I went to the reserves back in 2015 after 10 years. Okay. And why did you decide to switch from active duty to reserves? I started um, my company, Mutt Sauce, while I was on active duty, which I wouldn't recommend for people to try to start a business at the same time you're serving. It's a lot. You know, I didn't realize how much energy and time goes into entrepreneurship. I really just wanted to do something for my friends and family by making these bottles. 
but as we grew you're doing shows on the weekend festivals stuff like that on the weekend so you're already working monday to friday the air force all day long maybe you get home at eight but you still got emails piled up from nuts off you got to answer those so you're in bed by like two then you gotta get up because you got unit pt at five <laughs> you know it's like take that times that by two years pretty darn tired i had to make a decision so i made one and i went to the resort because i still i was so hard to just take my uniform off and just be like no i'll never serve again because i didn't really want to leave the service and i was thinking about my granddad too you know it means retirement so i was like well i won't take my uniform entirely off i'll go into the reserves so has it been a good switch for you to switch to doing reserves uh i've had my i've had my transition woes with transitioning into reserves because i became an individual mobilization augmentee an ima so that's a different type of reserves some people think from traditional where you have mandate like you have a drill days and stuff like that imas don't have drill we don't have to go to drill we don't have those weekends we do have um, annual training days and we do have um, uh, developmental days that we have to do so 12 developmental days 24 annual training days you basically are in an active duty unit so you're not even reporting to a reserve unit you're reporting to an active duty unit they can't tell the difference between you and an active duty person. But IMA has a joke that stands for I'm alone. Because there's not many of us. And there's there's no one when you switch over that's like, hi, welcome to being an IMA. And here's what you need to do. And we're going to help you process into your new unit. And we're going to help you uh, get all your OPRs and stuff done. You might be in a unit where you have a civilian, me being program management. Um, you might be in a unit that's like, we don't. I don't know what to do with you. Like, manage yourself. <laughs> <laughs> do whatever you need to do. <laughs> yeah, do whatever you got to do. Hi, how you doing? Here's here's what you can do. Make make your own job. Because honestly, you're not there long enough to do, you know, sometimes they're hesitant to give you stuff because they're like, you're not going to be here long, so I'm not going to give you anything too intense. And uh, that, that was a hard, hard uh, thing to manage for me, so. I actually just signed to go inactive for a little bit while I searched for something here in Ohio because my unit was in Maryland. So I had the added stress of figuring out what am I going to be able to be gone from mutt sauce for a month in Maryland and away from family and everybody. So there's a base right here, right, Patterson? I'm just trying to look for something here. I do love the flexibility of being a reservist and being able to, if you want to do something on the civilian side or uh, do your company, you have that flexibility. What I did, my boneheaded mistake, because <laughs> I have so many, um, I walked back on the base the very next day after I got out of the service as a government contractor. Some people asked when I went full-time with Mutt Sauce. It wasn't until October 2018. I got out in 2015. I didn't go full-time with Mutt Sauce till 2018. Because I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to do what I think entrepreneurs do. They just jump off the cliff. And then as I was like jumping, I'm like, oh, God, I need money. <laughs> like, I need money. Or, you know, more of it was like, I was very comfortable 
and I don't, I'm not ready to be uncomfortable. So I took a, took a government contracting job. And then from there, I just kept getting offered higher salaries because program management does pretty well in the civilian sector, especially defense. I just kept getting offered higher salaries. And I'm, I'm like, this is the worst Jedi mind trick. I was, you know, I'm like, let me just take this salary. Then, you know, you're at six figures and you're what, 20, 29, 30, when you six figures. So what led you to leave being a government contractor? I got fired. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I knew the answer. Yeah. But why did you get fired? Because I think the reason behind why you got fired is more important than you getting fired. I think it's awesome. <laughs> that's why i wanted to ask the question um yeah i think it's awesome because um you know a lot of us were stubborn too you know we get in our head that there's a certain thing or, or we're superhuman we can handle it all and maybe in our heads we do but the people that are around us are like no no you you need to prioritize and that's what it was is i in my actions, I was prioritizing mutt sauce. And I didn't realize that that's where where your actions are, that's where your heart lies. So my heart was with mutt sauce and it showed in my actions. And my supervisor said, you've been gone like 14 of the last 40 days. I was like, yeah, I'm out of, I'm out of leave. I was gonna talk to you about that. <laughs> No. Uh, yeah, we need to we need to make a mutual decision. But I was like, it's not mutual though. So she's just like, let's circle a day on the calendar as your last day. She's like, I have a feeling you need this. She's like, and, I, and we did. We talked on a personal level. She's like, I feel like, you know, had this not happened, you would have kept trying and trying to do both. She's like, you just can't. Maybe you need to put your energy into one and see what happens. It's like clearly it's doing well. So you, but this is with half of your energy. Imagine if it had all of your energy. So in the last year, how has that changed? Being able to put all your energy and focus on mud sauce. It's a roller coaster, Amanda. I know. It is a roller coaster. Cause you had the highs are high and the lows are like crash and burn. and. And when it depends on you, that's a lot of pressure. There's no one, it's like, it's like the difference between when I was running, uh, I would play soccer. I loved soccer. I was good at track. I loved soccer because if you lose the game, you're all on the bus, you're consoling each other. Oh, we'll get it next time, guys. It's not the blame game. You should have passed. We didn't do that. It was like, we lost, but we tried. Track is when you get your butt beat by whoever else. It's just you sitting on the bus like, did I not train hard enough? Something. There's just you. So that's why I, I'm like, there's when you're in this position where you're, you know, it's just you. If you don't have a huge team and even if you're the entrepreneur even if you're the owner there's a lot of beating yourself up that you do and and that's been the hard part about entrepreneurship when 
when things are, are slow, like I just talked to my board of advisors, like I'm having a baby by March, maybe February. Winter is our hardest season to get through. How do we make enough sales that when this child arrives and I am not able to be there 100% of the time, how are we still selling in December, January, February, March, April, and May? We gotta have a without Sherlinda plan. And I hate having a without me plan, but you do need to have a without you plan. Yeah, congratulations, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, great news. That's exciting. It's gonna change everything. It, it is, and it was a recent development. A lot, I announced it at the Military Influencer Conference um, this year, this, this year's MIC, at the end of my speech. And um, that, was, that was a point of bravery for me too, because I was like, I really just want to be like, and here's a picture of my baby that I was pregnant the whole time. Yeah, no questions, no questions. <laughs> um, that's been a big thing of, uh, my journey too with with mutt sauce in the military is i've always had a desire i've always been family centered because i grew up in a very family centered environment and to to not have the ability to build a family these past 10 years was frustrating i thought that i was going to be that person that has a company had a great career to and, and nothing really to show for it. And people are like, well, what to show for it? You got a great company. To me, I have nothing to show for it because there's nothing to pass this on to. There's, there's no nobody to pass it along to. Um, legacy is my why. So it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> All the accolades, money, none of that matters to me. That's not what I value. And um, this was something that I'm like, it's bugging me, I can't sleep. It, it's bothering me. Life feels incomplete without this happening. And if I can find a way to make it happen, I will. And the door opened up for the possibility and it worked. That's great. Yeah. I think that you've given so much good information about not only your time in the service, but about the realities of how hard it is to be an entrepreneur, especially when I have my husband as my like fallback plan. So mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, so I have him to rely on. And so I, I understand like what that safety net feels like. I'm kind of lucky because it's another person and not me working, but I, I can definitely relate to the highs and lows. I think the last question I want to ask is what advice or what would you tell young women who are considering joining the military? Well, you know, it's in some ways we have. In, in great ways, we have made so many strides in leadership positions and in uh, opportunities. You see rangers now. We've, we've seen so many things that women are shattering glass ceilings. Captain Molly May Potter, she now sits on the national board of the Air Force Association. I mean, she's, she's my age. She's in her 30s. And, the other board members are general officers. So to see some of these strides happening in our country is awesome. And I would tell them to focus on how you can contribute to 
us moving forward. Don't don't be held back by some of the things you may hear we're still struggling with because you could be that catalyst. You could be that person to help make it finally change. Um, sometimes it's just it's just using your voice, telling your story, and, and and it's powerful because someone may be like, you know what, I'm I'm approaching forty and I don't have any kids and I've been stewing over waiting on Mister Wright forever. And Shalita was like, forget that. <laughs> uh, he he'll be there when he'll be there, you know, but. There's so there's children out there that that need moms. There's you still are physically able to do it. And for me, I I have to give thanks to Wright Patterson Medical because those are the ones that helped me. I mean, they're there and they said that you guys have put in so much. And the last person you ever think about is yourself. And I I said, well, yeah. And they're like, and that is why we're here and trained to help you. Whatever your goal is, whatever your wellness goal is, whatever your personal goals are, we're also here to help you. We're not just here to fix you when you're broken. <laughs> so um, I appreciated that. I, I, I know. I just really appreciated that they understood. And I would tell these women, like, um, be confident in that little voice inside of you that's like this might not be the norm but it's my desire that's the thing that's the one you need to listen to because the stuff that's outstanding it's not normal entrepreneurs look insane they sound crazy and that is that is like the hallmark mark sign that you're on to something great so i, I would just tell them be encouraged listen to the voice it sounds crazy do it it's scary jump and, and be a part of the forward movement just think about that. Don't think about all the scary stuff they want to tell you. We have a movement. It's 2019 and we're still dealing with, well, come in here, put the uniform on and help us, help us out, help a sister out. Yeah. And I really like the listen to that inner voice. Cause I feel like when I joined the military, we have no military background in my family and I felt like a crazy person, but I had this like voice that was pushing me to join and so I did and I was afraid but I jumped anyways and it it all worked out and it all works yeah so thank you so much I've really had a lo lot of fun talking to you I mean I kind of knew that because I knew you a little bit before so I was looking forward to this but it was a great interview and I just appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to me yeah I appreciate you too man and thank you for lending it another uh, outlet for us to tell our stories. I think that's very important. So, you know, you're going above and beyond and that should be applauded as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military podcast. Do you want to support the podcast? Check out our link to Patreon in the show notes and find out ways that you can help support the podcast. You can also check out my book, Women of the Military, available on Amazon. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. And reviews are always helpful in helping new people find the Women of the Military podcast. So if you haven't given us a review yet and you love listening to the podcast, I'd love it if you could leave a review. Thanks!